Hey guys, it is Lori here. Hey, before we get rolling with the episode, I wanted to let you know the best way to stay connected with us and to get to know everything that's coming down the pipeline, like workshops and our book launch. The best way to do that is to go to lauriekrieg.com. L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G and scroll down to the bottom and drop your first and last name and email address and we will keep you connected. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 127, Countercultural Parenting and Discipling. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg. And by the time that this episode airs, I will have been one day free, I think, (laughs) from the Michigan lockdown, which has been notoriously long, but I think it's been long for everyone. But for now, this very moment (laughs) in the time of this recording, I'm hanging out in our basement and I'm not hearing too much screaming upstairs. In fact, none in the last 10 minutes. Uh, my usual co-host and licensed therapist, not my licensed therapist, which is always good to clarify, but Argyle expert, but my husband, Mad Krieg, he's trying to wrangle the children and maybe even take them to the grocery store, lathered in masks, etc. cetera. Uh, but in the studio still, we still have an essential worker who's living the dream. <laughs> And the most professional radio voice among us is producer Steve. Hi, guys. How's it going there? Is it super lonely? It sure is. Uh, It's quiet. We had a conversation. The few of us that were here today, we had a conversation like, are the rest ever going to come back? Or is it just going to be like, hey, you know what? You can just keep doing this from home. And (laughs) it'll, it'll be strange. It's seriously so sad. A bald eagle flew over our house today and we like told every single neighbor. We're like, (laughs) we're going to start a newspaper, I think. (laughs) Anyway, we digress. We're very people hungry. I'm sure you all listening are too. And I am super excited to have a guest with us who is going to talk about discipling our children and or the kids in our lives. If you're one of our neighbors, you're coming alongside our children as well uh, in a world that is just crazy. It's just insane and getting crazier. But to help us unpack this, we have author and speaker Lee Nienheis with us. Lee, welcome. Lori, thanks so much for having me here. It's so good to be with you. We're so glad you are here. You're actually in Grand Rapids too, aren't you? Or in the area-ish? I live on the coast of West Michigan. So So right on Lake Michigan, real close. Love it. And I and probably Californians and people listening to like coast of Michigan. What is that? It's it's awesome. Don't hate it till you tried it. Exactly. Fresh water. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's perfect in the summer. Okay, but for those of you who do not know Lee, she is an author and passionate Bible teacher, and she is the communication specialist for Moms in Prayer International and the host of Moms in Prayer podcast. Hey podcaster love you so you just did your hundredth episode you guys should check it out uh but she wrote a book called countercultural parenting which is releasing i think in a few days after this uh, episode posts and it's her second book and it is with harvest house publishers her first book is brave mom brave kids she is a sought after speaker she shares a dynamic vision for the next generation of christ followers and she and her farmer husband mike have four kids and live in west michigan on that coast that's perfect in the summer okay but before we dive deeper into walking with kids in a world gone mad let's answer the question of the week from last week which is 
what is a piece of art that has ministered to you and why? And usually listeners, I ask you this, and I actually am very curious your answers. This is the first time in literal years that I totally forgot to put it out in the world. It was actually a nice day here in Michigan, and so I didn't do it. But Lee, I do want to hear the answer from you. And Steve, you're next. Well, I love this question. And I figure a piece of art, it could just be an artist that's been a strength to me too. But I love Morgan Harper Nichols. Do you know Morgan? I do. Her, she's a good Instagram follow and she sure got a heck ton of them. Oh my goodness. Her poetry, her art, everything she says, I'm like, "Ah, how does she get inside my head? I love that. Oh, yeah. So Morgan Harper Nichols, guys, just go ahead and open up the old Instagram app and do a little follow of Lee and a little follow of Morgan Harper. <laughs> um, yeah, Steve, I don't know what you're going to say to this, actually. I feel okay. like something Star Wars is about to come out of your mouth. But what piece <laughs> of art has ministered to you? Uh, well, I was thinking about um, some of the, I don't know, just classic Americana art, like American Gothic and like... Uh, Norman Rockwell, when I was young, I discovered his art and I was like, okay, it looks photographic. It's so realistic. And yet it's depicting, you know, something that you could never actually, you know, set up in a, in a photograph. Uh, but then I just, um, I remembered this, uh, I thought it was a painting. Turns out it's a portrait. It's a photograph that my aunt and uncle, when I was a little kid, they had up in their dining room. It's called Grace. And um, it is by a photographer from like the early 1900s named Eric Enstrom. And it's just this old man praying over his like like daily bread prayer. And he's got a gigantic, I'm assuming it's a Bible, might be a Webster's Dictionary, I don't know. Uh, and like his, his spectacles, his glasses folded up. But he's just there praying and it, there's just something earnest about this guy. And I just... I remember really, really being drawn to it as a little kid, and I found it today on the interwebs. It's called Grace. Some people call it Daily Aww. Bread. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I'm very timely. Um, when I studied abroad at Oxford, I was like super depressed and hated everything. And one place I liked going was when we'd take day trips to London and go to some of the museums there. And they had like legit actual Monet. And, um, it just that era of painting and just the beauty and the like kind of somber but gorgeousness of his style it just i know it's kind of cliche at this point but when you actually see it and now i'm sounding pretentious i'm just being real i was very depressed and monet met me (laughs) so i get it and maybe right now my heart is longing longing for more in this crazy world oh man but guys, I am going to ask you this question because I need I need more art. Um, okay. And by you guys, I'm talking to you listeners. But let's make a shift and let's talk about the gospel because this ministers to us as well. This is what we super need. But Lee, we have asked literally every guest this from the start is this set of questions. And it is such a gift to hear everyone's answer. But if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine, and yet still more sinful than I believe, when was that gospel first good news for you? And how is it still? 
Mm, I love that you start with this question. So I think I was probably five years old when I realized I was loved more than I can imagine. But it oh, wasn't yeah. until I was 17 years old that I realized that I was more sinful than I believed. And that is when I met Jesus and decided that um, I needed what he had to offer, which was salvation. It was cleanness as well. I was looking for something that would soothe this ache inside of me. And so he was the best news I'd heard. Someone who could be relied upon, who was trustworthy in everything that he said and did, which was not something I had been experiencing. And and still today, Lori, he is the best news to me. And not only that, he just offers me companionship, which mm. in the middle of my everyday brokenness he still pulls up alongside and whispers you are loved more than you can imagine and um i am totally aware of exactly how sinful i am <laughs> so when he pulls up and says i love you anyway um that means everything to me mm, that's so good oh man okay so we're gonna shift gears to this this focus that God has put on your heart of caring for kids. I mean, that's like some of what you've been talking about with this podcast that you have and these books that you've written and this countercultural parenting and um, just as a parent, but if you're a friends, you're, you're friends uh, with kids, you know, if your, your friends have kids or you're a youth worker, you're a teacher, caring for kids and discipling them felt impossible before the pandemic, but right now it feels like extra. Uh, I described it to someone like how the pandemic feels is like you're biking, but your tires popped. And so you just have <laughs> less, you just, the rubber's not meeting the road. It's the rim is meeting the road and you need the Holy Spirit to fill you up. And um, that might be some of what you're alluding to with needing the gospel <laughs> right now. Um, but if we're dealing with our own emotional garbage as adults, can you just help to simply set the stage for us? Like, so we understand pandemic culture, but what is the culture you're trying to counter in your book? I love it that you asked this. So I've never been the girl that's just contrary to be contrary. I'm sure you've met some of those too, Lori. Just, you know, people who are going to disagree with you just so they can disagree with you. I'm not that yeah. girl. I never mm -hmm. have been. So counterculture really is not just so that we're disagreeing with culture. As, as Christians, as Christ followers, that's not the goal. You see, I think majority culture at large is running headlong after success and happiness and pleasure. And so all of those are actually they sound like good things, but society's looking out for their own best interests and meeting those needs in whatever way feels right to them. And so what Christ followers are doing is that they're saying, as a parent, I'm looking to raise a child who will live for the glory of God who will live for something different than their own success, happiness, and pleasure. And so automatically, it's it's not that we're being contrary. It's that majority culture has a destination mind, and that's pleasure and happiness, success, whatever that looks like for you. And Christ followers have in mind the opposite direction. And so the aim is different, which just means that we are going to run into each other, crossing paths, and just countercultural parents are the ones who say, I'm not only heading this way, I'm taking my kids with me and as many kids as I can 
because the real rescue is running towards Jesus. This mm -hmm. other stuff, this majority culture stuff is running in an, into brokenness. And you know that full well, if we live according to our own wants and needs and desires, we're going to end up in a broken pit. And so mm -hmm. we're not being contrary, just to be contrary. We're living for a totally different goal. That's really necessary. And okay, so now I'm throwing us into this pandemic moment. And I feel like before we all went into isolation, I would have been like, yeah, yeah. Like I literally did a podcast before we, like the next day we went in there and I'm like, kids really just need to learn to be resilient. And then this hits and I'm affected by it. My kids are affected by it. And like, there's a piece of me even increasingly so that's like, just throw the screen at them. Just give them the pop tarts and whatever. Just, and so that doesn't necessarily feel like, bad like selfish it, it, like it feels like care but at the same time I know I'm kind of just want them to shut up because I'm in pain you know like yeah I guess I my question is like how, how have you been battling that like still recognizing like the tires are popped on the bike your kids are hurting like how are you walking with them right now to guide them toward endurance when like it kind of feels like well maybe a little bit of the world though no well that's the truth. Our tires are not only popped, we're still forced to pedal, right? We don't get off yeah, this girl. parenting train. Like we still have to do this thing anyway. And so I think that there is a reality to owning that this hurts right now. It yeah. absolutely hurts to be us, to be isolated, to be separated from our friends, our family, our church, our work, the th things that we've drawn purpose for and be in forced isolation. And then not just that, but to be facing trauma on top of that, which is the <laughs> news that's saying people are dying. This is scary. You need to be afraid. Oh, and by the way, we don't know when this is going to end. And so <laughs> we need to just, we need to just all take a collective breath and go, this is really hard. Sometimes it's just all we do to survive, right? But as parents, we're going to have to allow them to feel and work through these emotions too. And so I think it's really important that we're in touch with what's going on inside of us. We are in real time communicating with the Heavenly Father and saying, this sucks and this is why it hurts. I think we need to reach out for help. I think we need to look to our mental health, keep exercising. But the screen sometimes is numbing because we don't want to deal with it. And when that is the case, we don't want to deal with them, their issues, their neediness, whatever. Then I think we take that. We need to hold that in our hands and go, okay, what is this? Because that can't be a pattern. That can be a sometimes thing so that you can get work done and I can get work done and we get five minutes alone, but that can't be an all the time thing. And so I think we're really looking for rhythms here and patterns and, um, at least that's what I'm doing at my house. And you got to know like one good day, one terrible day, one good day. I didn't sign up to homeschool. I don't know about you, but like, I did not want to no. do this. So forced to pedal. Yep. And I think I haven't thought about this until you were just speaking, but that force to pedal. Sometimes I look at my single friends and I'm like, but you don't have kids. Like you can have time to like process your pain, but God knew we were going to have kids in this pandemic guys. 
God knew if you have kids, uh, God knew that. And for those of you who are single and have some bandwidth that you're working through stuff, like I have friends who are sending us meals. There's people who are just like, we're praying for you. And it means so much. So So I don't know. That was just a good word, what you were saying. And then I just felt like God's not surprised. He, He will give us that extra bandwidth to be able to walk with our kids and even guide them toward countercultural living in this very hard moment which is where we learn to follow him. Mm. You said in your gospel story that it was when you encountered your own sinfulness that you that's when you encountered Jesus, which we try and buffer our kids so much and now here they are in suffering. Are we willing to guide them even if we are also suffering? Well, Lori, just yesterday, my son, Ryan, he's 10. He looked at me and he kind of snarked at me. And I said, I do not like the way you are treating me right now. And he said, I don't like the way you treat me sometimes either. And I was like, (laughs) well, if that is not reality right there, you know, it's just in real time dealing this, dealing with this as parents like yep they don't always like it and this is a great chance to apologize to practice gospel inside of our home when we ask our kids for forgiveness when we blow it that is modeling in real time needing forgiveness needing and practicing gospel gives them the chance to play the part of god as forgiver Mm -hmm. instead of always just the repenter you know and so I, th- I think it's just, it's setting us up for good stuff. It's just a really hard season, period. Yeah, girl. Mm. Okay, so I, you know, walking is all you can do these days. So I was going for a walk and I was like, man, all these parents with teen kids who have phones. And I'm like, I can imagine pornography use, like statistics are showing, pornography use is going up, I'm mm-hmm. guessing, with these poor kids all day long. And they're not poor kids and saying that they're victims of their choices. I'm saying they are alone. And then the internet has porn in their pocket, many of them. So Lee, you start out your book and you talk about when you engaged your son, when you you were looking through his phone and you caught uh, pornography on there. Can you tell me about that scene and how you and your husband responded? Mm-hmm. We were on vacation in Chicago. It was a normal, great time. Family in the hotel room next door, other family on the hotel room on the other side. So we were just totally, uh, the six of us piled into one hotel room and my husband actually found it on our son's phone. Mm. And it was so great because Mike said, I'm going to need you to get dressed and come into this other room and talk to us. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, well, I just found this on our son, Brendan's phone. And, and your uh, son has given you permission to share this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to clarify that for people listening. She's not just airing his dirty laundry. Yep. Nope. And so he, he brought the cell phone into me and I was appalled, Lori. I just didn't even know what to say, what to do. I was just shocked. And I mean, two months before that, I'd had a book come out, you know, Brave Moms, Brave Kids. I thought all things were good. I had no signs, nothing, just shocked, blindsided. But Mike had practiced his I'm not surprised face. And I mean, (laughs) the Holy Spirit was there and present, which is one of the things that I just say to parents all the time. You need to practice for this moment where you reserve and forego emotion. And that was beautiful. Mike did that so well because my son was sobbing. Once that... Once that 
that dam had been cracked and we had seen into this dark place where our son was. Um, I mean, guilt and shame started just flowing and we didn't have to dish any of that to him. We didn't have to tell him the truth. We had already talked to him about sexual purity and that kind of stuff. And so he was very convicted and, um, I just sat in quiet because I didn't know how to respond for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I did tell him I was devastated alongside Mm -hmm. of him and that we would be walking through this together. Mm -hmm. What did, what words did your husband use? Because I, I can imagine, you know, even myself, like with all the study that we do, like I, I would, I'd want like a, my, my husband, Matt, who's walked through his own journey with pornography addiction to be able to engage perhaps first, especially if it's our son, but you know, could be our daughters or hopefully it's none of them, but who knows? Um, like what did, what was the, what were the words he used? I love you. It was the first thing he said, I love Mm -hmm. you. And, um, we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that just like you said, Matt could deal with it in that moment in a different mm-hmm. way. Mike mm-hmm. has that in his background too. And so that brokenness did not surprise Mike whatsoever. And the type of brokenness surprised me, but it does not surprise me that my kids are sexually broken. We have that in our own past. We deal with that stuff every day. And now as I look back, I feel like well, you and I've talked about this before. It feels like pornography is almost like the common cold now. So I've had so many moms look at me and go, you too, huh? Sorry, you know, and, but in that moment, it it just all aches. And what we needed to say is we love you no matter what. And we're going to walk through this together. Mm. It's so important. Now I I asked you this in kind of our, our conversation before this, um, and you were super honest and beautifully honest with me. Like, ha- would you have responded differently or would you have felt differently if you had found, because this was heterosexual pornography, if it had been gay porn? Yeah. Um, I told you this and I'll say it again. I would have been blindsided. Yeah. And, and he- here's why. Because he has not given me any indication that that mm-hmm. was something that he was tempted towards. But mm-hmm. in in more thoughts about that, I think a lot of parents are going to find that and they had no idea whatsoever either. Many are going to find that they are equally blindsided, but I would have taken the same steps. It would have been the same. It just would have had another layer to it, another aching place to it. And to be honest, I'm not ready for that conversation yet, but I don't know if you ever feel ready as a parent for any of these conversations. Mm-hmm. But I would know that I would need counseling at a different level than having walked my husband through a pornography issue to introduce same-sex attraction into our home would introduce a new issue. It doesn't Mm -hmm. introduce new brokenness. And hear that Mm -hmm. it would just a new type, not, Mm -hmm. not brokenness in general. And so from that angle, yes. Would I be surprised if you called me and said, Hey, my kids are, I found same sex pornography or my next door neighbor or anybody else. I would respond in the same way. Like you have brokenness in your family too, but in my home that offer, I mean, it's just a different level of intimacy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just as someone who walks parents who do these sorts of discoveries and most, most of the ones I talk to are blindsided. Um, 
I, I would advise that. Like, you know, they say they say the same. I hear from other experts who are in my sort of field. They say, you know, practice your lack of surprise face. Practice your automatic I love you. Practice that. But you guys, this is why us at Hole in My Heart, we're always talking about it at a heart level. Is it so we all have these good needs in us and because of the fall, they get misdirected. And we all have broken sexuality. It's just, which is your version, <laughs> you know? And so, oh, there's that version. And it's really, how can we take these good needs to be seen and desired and known in a purpose? And how can we take them to God and surrender whatever version of brokenness and broken sexuality to Christ? And so that is critical. I have one more question, because I have seen this with some, um, I mean, this can happen, this, and I can see it because I've seen it in my own life, is had you not walked through and worked on forgiveness with your husband and his pornography issues, would you have had, would have been harder for you to talk with your son with compassion? Probably. Probably. But, yeah. but Lori, I know my own battle. Ooh, I know my I know my own battle. I know my junk. I know what I think in my head. I I often tell groups of women this, especially young students now. They do not give you blinders when you head down the altar. It's not like all of a sudden you stop noticing uh, the opposite sex or the same sex if that's, you know, your mm -hmm. love, your brokenness. Mm -hmm. It we're not handed blinders. So I notice all the same men I did the day before I got married now and i still feel attracted to them and i still have to tell myself no every day and i walk through temptation every day so i think that i'm just not surprised and i think that if a parent doesn't spend some time exploring temptate what are you tempted to and where are you broken then this is going to catch them at a totally different level but as for me in my house we are red-blooded people we are all all broken and in need of Jesus. Mm. Yep. So Lee, can you tell me, um, and your book is chock full of really beautiful ways to walk counterculturally, but I just think because this is such a focus, uh, you know, of, of our podcast, et cetera, we're focusing right now on sexuality. Um, but I, I'm curious, what are some of the steps that you did when you walked with your son? So is it like, I don't know. Like, what did you say? How old was he? He was 14. 14, yeah. Which my hus husband, Matt, was, I think, 10 um, when he first was introduced to it, which the average age, guys, is nine. Um, so if, you know, if we're not talking about this at a young age, uh, I mean, we got to. So 14, did you put on, like, porn blockers? How did you walk with him? Like, what would you even maybe advise parents who are like, oh, my goodness, this is an issue? Well, Lori, if you'll allow me, the, Please. the one thing that I just want to say is that this is not an isolated event in our family. We found um, that our daughter had been exposed by reading a fan fiction novel about Tinkerbell. So I found yeah. on her phone, Tinkerbell rape scene. And I was oh. like, what is happening? Not phone, her Kindle. And um, I went and I was like, what does this even mean? And she's like, I don't know what rape is, but it doesn't look good. And I was like, you need to come talk to mommy. So here's the truth. Pornography and this 
yuck is looking for our kids nobody writes fan fiction for nine-year-olds like with sexual brokenness unless they are predatory right Mm -hmm. so there's that so don't be surprised it's coming but I, i i would say just to recognize right off the bat that just because you have found this doesn't mean they're going to turn out terrible. This Mm. doesn't mean that the world is falling apart. It means God's given you an opportunity to heal, to work healing into a scenario in your kid's life. But we take the phones away right away, right? Internet needs to stop because you need to understand the depth of the problem that you're dealing with. And they're not going to like that. So be prepared to be the mean mom. And that was the case in our house too. It was like, sorry, buddy, you're on a flip phone now. Um, We need to communicate with you while you're gone at practice. But, and and he was livid, but uh, we did put device protection on. We had Disney circle. Some people use all different ways, but all of a sudden his phone was locked down and he really didn't get his phone back for six months while we were walking through this. And then we were asking clarifying questions, of course. And that's like as much as possible. Tell us what this has looked like. When are you most tempted? And so my husband got a lot more answers than I probably would have as a mom. And then we were knowing times like, is it at night before bed? Is it what needs to happen? So all the cell phones went down to the living room. Everybody in the whole house puts their cell phone in the same place. It's charged there every day. Nobody has them in the bathrooms, in the bedrooms. I mean, we're just setting up boundaries and protection for our family. And then we got help. We wanted someone outside of our family that would speak truth to him. And so we had that in a youth pastor that we love and admire, but it may mean a counselor to someone else who's going to come in and walk. It may be a family friend that you can trust who has experience in this area. And it's, it's a counselor for them and a counselor for us. And it's accountability both ways too, right? Like you want your child to have accountability, but as a parent, I want to be asked, are you walking through this in love? And are you checking? Are you mm-hmm. continuing to check for this on your kids' devices? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those boundaries are really important. And, you know, I've only walked with Matt, like, specifically through this. And he he wanted to give it all up. Like, he asked me, you know, because it had been a long time and it had been a lot of lying. And he, I'm so thankful that he was a spouse who was willing to get rid of everything and go flip phone, etc. Um but how, you know, all of our sexual brokenness is heart related. Mm. You know, it's, there's good needs looking for God to fill them. They get turned. So how, how are you helping to still care for his heart? So that he knows he's not just his issue. Like how, how are you still speaking love to him and, and God's love to him? He knows now, Lori, a different level of God's grace than he ever knew before. He would be the first to tell you that, that we have been drawn closer together as a family. And he has a testimony that involves this. And I never would have wanted that, but I am so grateful that we fell in that pit and we've walked out as a family stronger, knowing each other better, loving and supporting. And I, you know, Mother's Day was a you know, not that long ago. And on there, it was like, thank you for always loving me. And, and, and that's the truth is just continuing to convey, I will always love you. That is 
that is the heavenly father towards us. But it's also loving enough to saying, these things are going to hurt your heart. This is actually going to cause you pain beyond what you can imagine right now. And it doesn't feel like that. And you don't recognize that in the moment of temptation, but like we are going to help debreed your heart Mm -hmm. and it's not pretty at all. But I think sexual sin attacks us at a different level than other sins. They're, they're not different in God's economy. Right. But like the body produces oxytocin and neurologically things fire that aren't supposed to fire when they're supposed to fire. And so it leads to these things that addictions, things that break us in ways that we just, we can't even imagine. And so I really think that tending to his heart is explaining those things. Like I, I just so love you. And I'm not surprised the next time it comes up because it will it will come up again. We will face another temptation. We will be shocked again. It's just when, and, mm-hmm. and when will we face those setbacks together and, and modeling gospel in real time and showing him how much we all need Jesus in the middle of this. Hmm. That's right on. And what I love that I'm hearing is so many, uh, you know, predominantly young men, but young women too, you know, they get started at 10, 11, 12. And then sadly, youth leaders used to, hopefully they're not still saying this, like, just wait till you're married, dude, just wait till you're married, just don't till you're married. And then marriage is going to fix it. And then marriage doesn't fix it. And then, you know, it's, as Matt says, he's like, our marriage, you know, it's broken, but there's sweetness. And he's like, this was not the marriage I was promised in junior high. You know, right. This like sex is going to solve everything. So, uh, my, my question there, well, well, I just want to make a comment then I'll jump to a question. But my comment is what I love is that you are not just, you know, ignoring it and you're not just slapping rules on it. You're doing grace and truth and you're helping him to work it out in the home. So he's not having to do this in college. And if God calls him to marriage, in marriage, or when he's 20, 30, 40, 70. So my question, though, is let's jump back to youth leaders. Uh, so Matt, a lot of the sexual words that he got were just wait till marriage is going to solve everything. I mean, Lee, you've talked about that ain't fixed it for you. <laughs> didn't fix it for me or Matt or anyone I know. So what would you, what would be your advice to youth leaders who maybe even in this pandemic world, like how can they exhort young people when it's such an easy quote unquote draw to get what feels like a heart need met? I think that we need to just thank the the youth leaders that are involved in our kids' lives because just mm. thank you, you know, that somebody else is going to stand up and say the truth, teach them, point them towards Jesus. Thank you for that. I think that it's important to tell our kids the truth about sex. Like it is pleasurable. And I think that was a real disservice that we may have done in the, (laughs) in the last generation or so is Hmm. that we made it so off limits or made it seem like it was a bad thing that comes with baggage too. Let's speak highly of marriage. Let's speak highly of sex and let's say this is pleasurable. It is good. It's for the context of marriage, right? But also let's not set unrealistic expectations for it. It is not always awesome. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's a lot of work and sometimes you don't want to, right? Like if you've been exposed to pornography or sexual brokenness, when you get into the confines of marriage, it doesn't always feel risky or, um, 
exciting like it did outside of marriage. So let's just paint a really healthy picture of what sexuality in marriage is going to look like. So we're not setting them up for failure when they get there and they go, oh, this this, this was not what I was expecting. You know, Mike always says, I expected to be in bed every single night having a rocking good time. Like that would be so great if it worked like that. But most marriages, sex takes work and it's mm-hmm. self-sacrificing. And the thing that we need to tell our boys and our girls is sex is at the end of it, not about you. It's about the other person too, you know, and what you can do as you come together. And it is not a core need of ours, no matter what, when you get married, hopefully it is present there. I think that's great. But if our kids never get married, sex isn't one of those needs that we have to have like air, like food, like water, because then we have the opportunity to say to our friends that are going to live single lifestyles or celibate lifestyles, hopefully life can be awesome for you too. God has a plan for you too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the that's the drum that we beat on here all the time, and and really, it's so. Um, just looking at like what is the gospel metaphor of sex? Is it physically showing to another person if God has called you to marriage that God wants to be holistically one with you? Mm. It's a it's a glimmer of what we're going to experience in eternity, which is what exactly what you're saying. That's, that's a giving thing. And so if that's what we're doing, how can we do one night stands? How can we do pornography? Like it's, that's, it's not that like, Oh God needs to close his eyes. As I look at this, it's he, he created this like sex is such this beautiful thing where it's God wants to be this close to you. And he desires you and the, the euphoric experience that some people <laughs> endure, like that's just a tiny glimmer of what heaven will be like. And for people who God has called to singleness, for them to say no to that earthly, which is just a barely a shadow of what heaven is going to be like, for them to say no to that, they're showing us, guys, God is enough. God is my God. Like he is the one who reaches these inner places in my heart and that I am so in love with him. And this is, I am saying, yes, no, God hasn't called me to that, but I am showing you really that sex won't be in heaven and how we will all be in eternity. And, and you show us in these beautiful church relationships, just how, I don't know, the oneness we'll experience in heaven. And so I hear you, Lee, and I hear this like, we need a different way to talk about sex and marriage that is so less gritty and I just in pornographic. <laughs> mm. You know, Psalm sixteen eleven says, "In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore." That mm. means pleasure forevermore yeah. is going to exist in eternity. It happens here in the presence of God. It's going to happen in fullness there. That's what we're living for. And and marriage is hopefully for some a foretaste of that. I think that's what we're aiming for in our marriage. And you're probably trying to do <laughs> trying our best. Well. We're doing our best. But really at the end, pleasure forevermore is heaven. No matter whether we get married or not, we're awaiting something so much better. Mm. 
I remember Matt when we were in some of our like worst times of our marriage and he we were in such pain and he came downstairs and he read that psalm and he was like, God, I don't feel this right now, mm. but I am choosing to believe this right now that you are worth it. And so to our single friends, to people who are wrestling with pornography, to people who are in a tough marriage or a gorgeous, imperfect, impossible marriage, like... God, we ch- we don't always feel that. <laughs> and Lord, help us in this pandemic. We don't. Uh, but we choose to believe it. And you are worth it, God. So, Lee, could you leave us with just a final word? Uh, just about, I don't, what are some maybe unexpected gifts of the pandemic that just for parents who are like so tired, <laughs> they're hurting. They're hopefully exhorted a bit by what we're saying here, but like to move their kids counterculturally, but more gospel centered. What's a gift of the pandemic? Mm, I really think it's the gift of time, time to get to know our kids without rushing to the next thing. I We're just all in this rushing season and now it it's paused for who knows how long it's paused. And we have this huge opportunity to look at our kids and get to know them in ways we never would have before. The opportunity to say, all right, what do I see here? I think we have the opportunity to pray for them and over them in ways we haven't before. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm doing homeschool with my kids right now, and I don't want to. By the time people listen to this, that may be over. Hopefully we don't revisit this stage. But I figured <laughs> out, I think one of my kids has an issue with reading comprehension. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known unless we had been stuck at home for the last seven weeks. It's taken seven weeks to go, this is not giving way. He's not being lazy. He's not avoiding it. I think we have an issue here. And I think that's what this pandemic is going to offer us is this opportunity to go, oh my gosh, look at my kids' strengths. They are so good. Look at how compassionate, helpful, kind, whatever. You know, hopefully we're looking for strengths first, but also I think it's going to be to look for weaknesses too, things that need shored up that we're going to need to pray and train, but that requires our parental eyes and the eyes of our hearts to be turned on. And we need to be asking like, Lord, I feel drained beyond compare. So I need you to fill me up in ways that are supernatural. And I am looking to you for that. And one of the things that I have been doing on the days that are the very worst is, is doing an Instagram accountability, three things I'm thankful for each hour. And just taking Ooh. a picture of those. And, and it was because I, I was about to come unhinged one day. And I was like, okay, three things an hour. Because gratitude is the antidote to this anxiety that we're facing because God is present in all of these moments. And so I would just encourage our friends, our listeners to begin that. What if for one day you practice three things that you're grateful for and every hour, one of them has to involve your children. Mm. We don't need to resent them anymore. We need to be grateful for them (laughs) as much as possible. And I don't want to set some standard I can't keep. Some days suck. It's just the way it is right now. But But what if we look at this thing and go, boy, we created some memories. 
Oh my gosh. I am so grateful for 2020 when my kids were home with me for four months or whatever it's going to end up being. And it was just us. I think we're going to get to the end of this and we're going to look back and go, we did some things as a family that mattered. Mm, That's so good. And I love the emphasis on, you know, we started out with this like analogy of this tire, the the (laughs) biking with the tires popped. You guys, like never before, we need the Holy Spirit to inflate those tires. It's not like, oh, just sprinkle a little Jesus on me and I'm going to get through the day. No, no, no. It's like, I need you. <laughs> like, you're all I got. And so I so, yes, grip the the handle of gratitude because that can just start pulling you out <laughs> of the hole and invite your kids. I know the memes are funny about rolling your eyes at your kids, but at the end of the day, you're the parent. And we got to roll with this toward Jesus. Oh, man. Lee, thank you so much for your wisdom and insight and your vulnerability, just for sharing your story and your gifting with us. I'm so grateful to get to be here. I'm so grateful for your ministry, too, for a chance where we can talk about this brokenness in a way that doesn't feel quite so shameful and feels like really, really like a conversation we need to be having. Oh, yes. Well, you are welcome. Now, guys, you can find that book, Countercultural Parenting, that Lee Neenheis wrote. You can pre-order it right now. It's coming out really soon. And you can find that on our podcast episode page, as well as some other linking things that I will send to you. I'm also going to link you up to uh, what to do if your kid comes out. So let's say you are a parent who's listening and you're like, oh, snap, uh, my kid came out and it was gay porn. I'm just going to link you to something that you can read uh, that I wrote for Center for Faith. It's not an exhaustive list, uh, but you are welcome to check that out. And also know I've been meeting with quite a few parents of kids who have come out and just encouraging and exhorting them through coaching. You guys can check that out as well. I'm happy to walk alongside you as best as I can. I just listen to your story, try and listen to the Holy Spirit and offer um, just from my ministry years a good next right step. But you guys, we do have a question of the week for next week, which hopefully I'll remember to uh, post and ask you guys. I was a little too involved with my kids today, which is a good thing. Um, but this is a deeper question, not just a silly one. But what before the pandemic did you think was a need? You're like, yeah, I need this every week. We need this. We need that. Or at least like pretty required. Uh, but because of the pandemic, you've realized, oh, man. I can actually live without that. So I'm just curious if there are those things. I might not get a million answers, but I'd like even just a few. You can find me on uh, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. It's usually on Instagram or Facebook that I am the most active. Also, guys, you can help others find us by giving us a review on the old iTunes. Thank you. I saw if you guys did that last week, but just to write a little comment or just drop five stars is preferred. (laughs) But whatever you sense we deserve is great. Thanks again to Lee Nian Heiss. Go check out Countercultural Parenting. But for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Bye.